Yo, my friend. Hello and welcome. How are you Hello. doing today? Good. Uh, just looking a little dapper today. You, you as well, by the way. You no, know, you know, I just, you know, putting it all out there for a little Halloween fun. I am, I am very hot. I can only assume. Yes, I. I've, <laughs> you as well. <laughs> I've had this on for thirty seconds, and I already need a shower. <laughs> it's not coming off. It's permanently glued to your body at this Basically, point. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Unfortunately. We don't know where where human flesh and fabric where where one ends and the other begins. You don't want to know. <laughs> it's but, getting uh, very centipede esque. It's getting oh creepy. Gosh. Oh gosh! Halloween, you know. Abort, hey. abort, abort this analogy. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Who who are we? What are we doing today? Yeah. Hello, hello everyone. We are the Pixelists. That's Blake. I'm Will, and um, yeah, we're here today to talk about some Critical Role Campaign Three. Um, specifically episode two but uh yeah we were the pixelists i just said that but we we like to talk about all sorts of nerdy stuff but yeah today it's critical role time baby yeah well real quick let's let's you know critical our our critical role friends over at critical role uh they had their costumes going so naturally we have ours that's right um i was a little dapper repping my man the Tazbot in the middle and uh what's going on with you uh, I'm a penguin. I'm a penguin. Um, penguins are my favorite animal, and uh, that's pretty much the long and the short of it. I was actually gonna get some Loki horns and be like a Loki variant. That's a penguin. Nice. I like it. But they were really expensive, so I, yeah, I decided I mean, just to be a penguin. If you guys want this outfit, by the way, the Hibachi penguin costume, it will only cost you four hundred dollars USD. So <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> It was eighteen dollars from Safeway. It was pretty so. cheap on Amazon. So I mean, I know we're two days out from Halloween, but if you're if you're in a panic, you might be able to find something. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we're talking about campaign three, episode two. Uh, what an amazing episode! I really loved it a lot. We can definitely dive into that um, here in a minute. But uh, I think we want to talk about what happened in this episode, right? Yes, sir. Why don't you take it away and tell us what happened in episode two of campaign three of Critical Role? Alrighty. Yeah. So let's jump right into it. The episode picks up right where we left off at the end of episode one with the this motley crew that we've assembled facing off with Lord Esteros. Um, he basically starts charging at him. And uh, basically a brawl just kind of busts out here. Orum kind of has yeah, Orem hesitates for a second because this is all coming out of nowhere, and he's like, "Are we really gonna attack this old man?" But um, it just it gets brutal pretty quick. Everyone's fighting except Bertrand Bell, who, while this kind of chaos is broken out, decides to just mosey his way on over to the fireplace and uh, finds a glass of scotch that Lord Esteros had been drinking before the party arrived, and he just takes that, takes a sip, and is like, uh, "Good job, everyone. Uh, keep going." <laughs> yeah. um, and so they keep fighting, and a couple cool things happen in the in the fight early here. Uh, Laudna showcases her ability, unsettling presence, which she describes as her jaw unhinging and her eyes beginning to like drip an oily black. And I just thought that was awesome and worth mentioning. Uh, and FCG also showcases one of his abilities. Um, it was called Transfer Suffering, I believe, which have he shares damage with someone. And um, Lord Esteros just basically put the pummeling on Orem 
I think Matt describes that he like cracks his kneecap, makes Orm fall to the ground, and just starts bashing him. And so FGZ, FCG is like, yeah, let me help you out here. And um, actually, this turn from Lord Estros was nuts because he, he does all of that to Orm. And then he action surges, which gives him basically like a complete refresh of his turn. He goes and gets a natural 20 on Ladna and then mm -hmm. strikes Dorian twice, knocking him unconscious. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of like what just happened is yeah. really what I was thinking. It was this like whole, <laughs> this old man can pack a punch. Yeah. Um, so he knocks out Dorian. And so Fern and Imogen are, you know, trying to do their best, do some damage to him. While FCG goes and gets a healing word on Dorian to get him back uh, conscious. And Dorian, in turn, then healing words um, Orum to get him back up after that brutal beating uh, he'd taken. And at this point, Bertrand finally decides to join the fray. And so he unsheaths his sword, makes his way over to the combat. Um, and he decides to throw his glass of scotch to try to hit Estros. But unfortunately, Travis Nat ones and ends up hitting Fern in the back of the head. Um so basically now that Orum's back up, um, Ladna recovers from that nat 20. They all go in and, you know, give some more attacks, which leads Estros to screaming enough. Kind of like we classic thought classic he might, enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, you know, I've seen enough. You've proven it to me. So he strolls back to his armchair and, um, takes a seat and is like, you know, let's talk. And as he's kind of going back to his seat, Ashton takes their knife and throws it and stabs uh, Bertrand in the chest, basically letting him know, like, hey, thanks for participating. Like, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, Esteros sits down in his chair and um, calls everyone closer to him. And his cane that he's been wielding in combat, he actually messes with it a little bit. And mm -hmm. this magical energy pulsates from it. That uh, affects everyone in the party except for Imogen and Laudna, who were still standing at the back of the room, right. um, causing all them. Everyone had to make a charisma save. Uh, it is. It's later revealed to be that this was a zone of truth spell, uh, which Dorian gleaned uh, gleaned that later from having been familiar with that type of magic in the past. So right. Esteros was, you know, making sure that this next conversation they were all having was going to be on the up and up, and. Um, so what he does is he asks them their intentions, wants to know what they're here for, why have they sought him out. And uh, he learns that they're here for a few reasons, mainly looking for some work, a chance to make some coin, uh, but also the potential to make a few connections, uh, specifically Imogen wanting to know if he can facilitate her access to the Starpoint Conservatory. Um, he lets them know that he indeed does have those connections and, you know, maybe they can work together. Right. Um, he begins kind of telling him what's going on, saying that the aside from the typical socio-political issues that kind of plague any city of this size, there are also some deadlier and darker dangers beginning to creep up from the jungles below. And he's just looking for like-minded people to help combat these issues that uh, Jussar is facing. Um, and as they're kind of having this, he reveals this conversation. He reveals that he was once a mercenary uh, before he inherited the estate that he has from uh, a woman named Mistress Prudage. Uh, he inherited the manor and the estate, uh, but now he's too old to be on the front lines. So now that he has these resources, he looks for more able-bodied, younger people of of uh, like heart to kind of do stuff for him. And he lets he lets them know that he has lots of agents like this to be his eyes and ears out in the world. Um, 
So he would love to, you know, potentially work with them as well. But he lets them know that not only does he have a lot of agents, he also has a lot of enemies. So that if they do work for him, it's going to be better to keep it on the down low that uh, he is their employer. He wants them to keep that a secret. Uh, and Orem, uh, one thing of note is Orem does roll an insight check during this, kind of to see if it seems like, you know, Estras is being... Um, Truthful. Forthcoming. Yeah, yeah, forthcoming. And uh, he actually rolls a nat 20. So Matt brings back the whispers. Nice. We actually get the first whisper of the campaign and the first whisper in a really long time. Um, so obviously... Should, let's <laughs> make sure we mention that in our deep dive afterwards, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we will. Um, I'll make a note for that. Okay, yeah. Well. So we don't we don't know what he reveals because it was a whisper, <laughs> but still thought it was worth mentioning. Um. So, like I said, he has a lot of enemies, wants them to, to keep it on the down low that he works for them. And this kind of conversation leads them to ask, okay, so wait, you have a lot of agents and stuff. What's going on with you and Bertrand? And Estros reveals that, yeah, Bertrand um, did work for him before. And he, he tells them that in the previous mission, Bertrand actually abandoned the mission, abandoned his troops. And um, was, was referred to as like a tragedy and unfortunate and this mission seemingly related to the Ivory Syndicate, which is like this dark organization that Ashton notes is um, moving basically unimpeded right now in the city. Um, and while they're talking about all these past missions, Ashton does ask, hey, were you the one that sent uh, FCG and all his friends to that silver mine that got attacked, which we know of from FCG's backstory? And uh, both FCG and Esteros say that no, uh, that was not him. Um, so basically after this long conversation, he then makes them an offer saying that, Hey, if you do this for me, it's kind of like a trial. Let's see if we can t trust each other, see if we're on the same page, then, then maybe I'll have some work for you and maybe we can, you know, become associates. He lets them know that he'll pay them a stipend at the beginning. And if they were to complete it, there will be more money. Uh, but again, he reminds them, you cannot tell anyone that you're working for me. Uh, most of the crew seems okay with this arrangement. Dorian is a little hesitant because he's worried about this ivory syndicate and wondering kind of what that is. And it is revealed that um, they got the name because they originally started in the ivory trade, but now they've moved on to many, many other things. Uh, the name just stuck. Um, so while they're talking, Estros is like, you know, you can have some time to think this over uh, if you if you need it. And they take him up on that and decide to kind of leave, talk this over and, and figure out where they want to go from here. Um, so they leave his estate and make their way to the Weary Way Tavern, which is in the nearby Lantern Spire. Um, to get there, they take this bridge known as the Fate Walk, which is this bridge hundreds of feet long that is the only rigid bridge um, mm. in all of Drusar. It's, so it's the only like tactile, sturdy bridge. Um, in the whole city. And uh, I just thought it was really cool world building. And he also mentions, Matt also mentions that they passed this thing called the Prakash Pyre, which is this torch that lights up the whole city at night. Um, but it's currently extinguished because we find ourselves in the morning. So anyway, they make their way to this tavern and, you know, order their breakfast and, and drinks and get to talking. Um, they originally start by chastising Bell for not warning them about, you know, the fight that was about to come and, um, take place and basically they're all just kind of mad at him for just not being forthcoming with them and he's like you know hey it all all's well that ends well uh everyone's fine and we now have what we wanted you know we have job to make some coin you have these connections that you've been looking for and he kind of you know gets them off of his back um 
And so basically they all start talking to each other, seeing if this is something they want to take on together, if it makes sense. And um, Imogen and Laudner are asked why they actually want these connections that they are searching for, why they want access to the, the conservatory. And FCG asks if, is, is it about like finding answers to your dark sordid past and Ladna <laughs> says yes it's exactly that <laughs> and it just got gets kind of dropped um so they move on from them and they begin uh kind of questioning what Orem's doing here and he says that you know he's looking for a fresh start uh they said oh are you running from someone and he says no i'm actually looking for someone right uh they ask who but he says uh you know i'm not ready to, to say that yet once we complete this job ask me again um, and you know, well, one, you know, once they can see if they can really trust each other. Um, also in this time, Dorian thanks FCG for healing him during their fight. And they begin asking about like his abilities. How does he heal? Is it magic? Is it from a divine God that he worships? And he says that he doesn't know. It's just something he does. And people begin to talk about, you know, we've never met anyone like you. And he says, yeah, you know, I'm one of a kind. Uh, I have lots of brothers and sisters, all built for different sizes and different purposes. Um, but I'm a bit more capable, a bit more tricked out than all of my brothers and sisters. Um, and during this conversation, Ladna just brings up the dead rat that hangs on her belt and reveals that his name is Pate, Pate de Rolo. And uh, that he was named after the royal family of Whitestone, where Ladna is from. Um, so then everyone's like, what? Like, tell us about this, your history there. And she reveals that she was born and raised there and when the Dorolos used to rule, but then there was a violent coup and they all died. And Orem pipes up and is like, actually, they're not dead. Uh, they came back. And Lana didn't know this because she said she left Whitestone and never looked back. She became this like deep, deep recluse, um, which brings us back to her dead rat. She says that uh, Pate was her only company in this extreme isolation. It was just him and the voice in my head. Um, which you gotta, so, and you gotta mention the amazing Cockney accent. Yes, as you pupped ears, <laughs> Pate. <laughs> yes, Pate is incredible. I liked the episode. It, it was. I I hope that voice stays for the whole campaign. <laughs> But so as they're talking about all of this Whitestone Dorolo history, Bertrand Bell pipes up and is like, yo, yes, yes, you've never heard of the Dorolos or of Vox Machina. And he, he claims to be uh, a part of Vox Machina, that he had helped them in their heyday and begins showing off this like lapel pin with their symbol that he's wearing. He was like, yes, you know, I was there when they rescued a uh, frog strongbone and, and yeah. all of that. <laughs> and Orem said, yeah, you know, I've heard of Vox Machina, but not of you. And uh, Bell's like, no, yes, Keyleth and Vixalia, they're dear friends of mine. And he's like, Orem, how do you know them? And uh, Orem reveals, you know, he's from Zephra, which is the like the home city of the Arashari and home to the voice of the Tempest, Keyleth. Uh, and everybody's like, what? You're you're one of the Arashari? And he's like, yeah. And he can he zooms some wind to open the tavern door. And he's like, that's about the extent of what I can do with it, though. Um so yeah, everyone kind of doesn't really take what Bertrand said to much to be to have much truth in it. But they were like, so what do you want from all this? What are you getting out of this, Bertrand? And he claims that he's just here to foster young talent and make some coin on the side. And um everyone's like, okay. Uh and then kind of within their smaller groups, um, Imogen and Laudna. Uh, FCG and Ashton and then the EXU cadre, they all kind of talk amongst themselves and 
agree that, hey, you know, we do want to do this. Um, so let's do it. Uh, they all decide that, yeah, all right. But one thing FCG says, we need to all be honest with each other. And Pate agrees. He says, sacreds don't make friends. <laughs> and uh, basically from there, they're like, yeah, let's pay the bill and let's head back on to Esteros's and see what we're getting ourselves into here. Which and, uh, to me begs the question if FCG is being fully honest, but we'll talk yeah. more about that. Yeah. So they, they go back to Esteros, which Bertrand uh, has incorrectly been calling him Esteros, and Esteros reminds him it's Esteros. Um, they go back and they say, yep, we've decided we're, we want to do this. And uh, Esteros reminds them of just like the, the need for anonymity, you know, don't tell anyone you work for me. Um, and they even talk about like, well, should we, should we name drop a fake name? And, uh, Matt's like, yeah, as he like starts going through like his notes, like trying to come up with a, uh, a fake name. <laughs> and then Ashton jumps in and says, you know, we're this area we work in. It's not uncommon for someone just to say my employer and it, you know, to not be, um, really anything that someone would pry on. So it's, we don't need an actual alias or anything like that. So they also talk about maybe getting like a contract uh, at Dorian's suggestion that um, if they do this mission, uh, Imogen will contractually be helped to get into the Starpoint Conservatory. And uh, Esteros basically says, well, this one's kind of a tryout. And if this goes well, then uh, it'll lead to a bigger job, a more important job. And we can absolutely get like a formal contract written up at that right. point. So they agree to do it. Um, like you mentioned earlier, uh, he offers a, an advance in the form of 50 gold each up front. Uh, he offers an additional 150 gold each. Um, well, actually, let me tell you what the mission is. So this actually makes sense. He mentions that over at dial hall in the lantern spire is a warehouse of his and someone basically has been breaking in and stealing some of his products, some of his supplies. And he wants to know who it is. So he offers the 50 gold up front um, to take on this mission, an additional 150 gold to identify the person and come to basically a terms that solves the problem. And then an additional 350 gold if the perpetrator specifically is dealt with permanently, whatever that looks like. <laughs> um, so quite a bit of gold to be made by each person individually, especially mm -hmm. early on in the campaign. Yeah. Um, they all agree. He reminds them now, again, don't let anyone know you work for me. Um, Dorian is observing the, um, uh, walking stick. And like you mentioned earlier, he remembers this time as a child where he had done something wrong and someone had cast a spell to sort of force him to tell the truth, uh, and realizes it's the same kind of, it's emanating that same energy. Uh, and then Fern, Orem, and, uh, someone else notices shiny things all around the room and they realize <laughs> it's weapons that are literally hidden all over the room. Yeah. Um, Fern specifically notices a shiny object between two books and it is a um, stiletto and in natural Fern chaotic order. She says, I want to try to steal it <laughs> <laughs> like immediately. I've taken on this mission. And so she tries to steal it. Um, she rolls a four on the slide of hand check. So uh, Esteros sees this happen and then she um, basically lies and says like, oh, I was just like, I knocked it over. I'm so clumsy. <laughs> so she has to roll a deception check, rolls a five. So she's back to back, you know, whiffing on the rolls. 
And then she's she's like, I mean, we really might need this for the mission. That's why I was grabbing it. And uh, so Matt, you know, third time's a charm is like, all right, roll a persuasion check. And she rolls a natural one. <laughs> <laughs> and so Esteros is like, just put it back. It was such <laughs> a great like, moment. Quietly puts it back and they uh, uh, they make their way. Um, Fresh Cut Grass, by the way, is like, what am I going to do with this gold? I don't need it. I'm just going to eat it. And so uh, gives um, his money to Ashton, his 50 gold advance. And uh, Ashton, by the way, mentions just offhand that he has four different kinds of rages. Yeah. An interesting homebrew detail about his character that we'll have to figure more out about. Uh, and having said all that, they make their way um, off to uh, Dial Hall, to the warehouse. And once they get there, they uh, once again, they, they pass by the, um, uh, the Fate Walk Bridge, or, or go over, excuse me. And once they get to the warehouse, they decide that some of them will sort of case the joint, like go out back and see what's going on in the back alley of it. Some of them will go inside and take a closer look. And a couple of them will just be lookouts. So Bertrand and Fern decide to be the lookouts. And so they're kind of just looking casual. Uh, Bertrand actually is like, um, you know, is my carriage almost here? And Fern's <laughs> like, oh, are you waiting for someone? And he's like, I'm just pretending. And she's like, oh, right. Um, Ashton, uh, um, Dorian, and Ladna decide to case the place out back. And Orem, Fresh Cut Grass, and Imogen. Did I forget anyone? They're the three who go, go in, in, who go in and uh, basically inspect the joint. Mm -hmm. So, um, by the way, while this is kind of all happening, I'm not sure really exactly when it happens, but Fern also is attempting to effectively pickpocket a random passerby <laughs> and gets like three copper or something. And Ashton really scolds her and is like, that person needs that money. Like, you can't take that from them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a really cool character moment for Ashton, who seems like this grimy... Um, thief-esque you know no rules kind of person but clearly has this sort of moral code that um makes him a character i really like yeah you don't take copper is what he said yeah yeah so anyway um the three people going inside they go in and they basically um announce that they are there as a go-between for their boss um madam shadana i think yeah something like that and that she's it's this woman who's opening a shop uh, in the core spire and says, yeah, we're here to look at some of your products, some of your textile, things like that. And um, I, we're going to get flagged for saying this, but I very much had like an Amazon workhouse like <laughs> vibe of like yeah. people like throwing product around, you know, trying to get things moved. Uh, there's a couple of workers. One's a dragonborn. I think the other one might have been a dwarf. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and a human. Pretty, pretty being watched pretty heavily by the um, person who seems to be the shop uh, manager who goes by the name of Dennis, not Dennis, and, right? Not Dennis, <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> and uh, it's sort of like, you know, keep working, you know, really keeping on them. Mm -hmm. And the two of the other two are just like, they hate their life. I mean, they're just like, this job sucks, but they're doing it, you know, whatever. Well, so anyway, while they are um, inside the joint, um, Dennis is like, yeah, of course. Well, if Madam, uh, uh, I've already forgot her name, Shadana yeah. is wanting to purchase some products, sure, you can look around. So they start going through the boxes, looking things over. And while this is happening, Fresh Cut Grass casts Detect Thoughts and Imogen uses her feet, which we're not quite sure what this homebrew feat is, 
but once again, lets her also um, detect thoughts. And she's also doing um, uh, telepathy to Orem and Fresh Cut Grass, who are kind of like, whoa, like yeah. this is, this you is can crazy. Speak to my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so they're doing detect thoughts on the workers as they're looking around. Uh, the two lowly workers are kind of like, you know, what am I going to eat later? Like a nice sandwich is kind of all they're thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Dennis, however, is fairly apprehensive. And we'll talk more about that here in a second. Um, the party splits up. Each worker's kind of helping them look around. And Orem actually finds one crate that has signs of being broken into. It has splintered woods on the wood on the corner of it. And there is a dusty residue, sort of a crystal residue uh, around the crate as well. Opens it up. Surprisingly, not very much has been stolen. It actually looks like someone was looking for something very particular. And it seems like in the middle, there is a gap uh, in this open crate, which is full of like textiles and linens. It seems like there's a gap where maybe something had been and was taken out. Uh, Fresh cut grass at a separate box sees something similar and does a, I'm not if it was an arcana check or a history check. But basically, Matt reveals that this is broomstone, uh, which is a an extremely rare substance. It was used back in the age of Arcana to sort of power the flying cities, and uh, nowadays is used by um, the airships. It, it's what powers the airships to allow them to actually fly. Right. Uh, mentions that it's not really mined anywhere, but it's actually the the total amount is controlled. Uh, by larger, I kind of thought of it as like mafia-esque groups. Um, but people absolutely control the majority of it, and um, it's kind of out of place being found here. Um, back out in the back of the, uh, behind the shop, Ashton is looking at a back door that's been effectively sealed shut. It's been barred, um, pretty much locked down, almost as if this was a door used a long time ago, but has been permanently shut for whatever reason. And then Dorian and Ladna decide to fly up onto, they use uh, Dorian's um, winged boots to fly up on top of the warehouse. And it's covered by like bird poop <laughs> and uh, Simurg poop. And Simurg was the um, hawk light animal with like the wolf dog head that yeah. um, the guards seem to ride around the uh, city. And they do find a, a, what seems to be a sack that is, has some coin in it. And they're kind of like, what's a coin purse doing up here? But otherwise, they don't see any kind of entryway. They don't see any kind of, um, uh, what's it called? Like the ceiling. uh, Like a skylight. Yeah, they don't see a skylight, anything like that. It seems like it's pretty much not really much of that interest up there. Mm -hmm. And then meanwhile, Fern and Bertrand, uh, Fern's getting really bored. And she's like, I think I'm going to go inside. And Bertrand, (laughs) before that, was kind of like, yeah, you want to go inside? Ha ha. And she's like, yeah, I think I will. And he's like, wait, what? She goes in and is like, hello, I'm here to buy some of your textiles. And Dennis is like, (laughs) I don't know what's going on right now, but um, this really isn't like a open shop for people to come in. (laughs) And um, either it's Fresh Cut Grass grass or Imogen who peers deeper into her mind. And they sense that she's thinking, just get them out, get them out now, get them out. Yeah. Uh, Extremely nervous about people being here. So they're sort of brisked out of the store. Um, they decide to sort of do a stakeout and break in um, after the shop's closed. So one by one, they watch as the employees leave. And then Dennis leaves very abruptly, is looking around very suspiciously, locks the door quickly. And um, as she's locking the door, Dorian has actually uh, cast 
uh, invisibility on Orem, who has snuck in through the door as one of the employees are leaving, and he's just waiting inside. Now, part of this plan was that Imogen would do telepathy with Orem, but it only works on someone she can see. And so Orem, because he's invisible, uh, she can't cast it on him. Yeah. And so Danis closes the door, locks it, and Orem finds himself totally isolated in this warehouse, which, by the way, all the lights have been put out because the shop is closed. And so he's in pitch black darkness, kind of feeling yeah. along the wall. Like, <laughs> he doesn't have uh, dark vision. Yeah. He's like, what am I doing here? Um, Imogen and Bertrand seeing Danis so um, suspiciously leaving, they decide we need to follow her ASAP. So they actually leave their post to follow. Uh, and then uh, Fern decides to try to communicate with Orem. So she goes out back and begins banging on that sealed door from before, which causes Orem to sort of panic of like, what <laughs> yeah. is that noise? Yeah. He pulls out his sword. It's like, what is going on? Yeah, it's like and that is what happens on episode two of Critical Role. <laughs> Left yep. us on kind of a uh, cliffhanger. So it did. Long recap. Long. Re it felt like a straightforward episode, but that was a long recap today. It was a yep. lot of details. Lots yeah. to talk about for sure. Well done. Well, um, those of you who've been watching, by the way, uh, this recap gets cut out and put onto a separate um, chunk. So if you're watching the recap. Click below to get the full episode. And those of you who are here with us on the full episode, now we talk about my favorite part, our thoughts, theories, and ideas for this episode, which by the way, if you have your own thoughts, definitely leave them in the comments below. We want to read about it, hear about it. Um, Will, first impressions. I'm really hot, by the way. I'm Me sweaty. too. <laughs> Me um, too. It's the price we pay for the Pixelus. Um, first, first impressions, impression, though. First impressions, I really enjoyed the episode. Uh especially um i loved that at the end there it did kind of get spooky vibes at least that's how liam was playing it as orem you know and i thought that was so fitting for like you know it's halloween and i thought that was fun um and also uh the where laudna started messaging him and the whole yeah. table started like, like whispering yeah. yeah doing the whole thing so good that, i think that was my favorite part and I don't, it might get like you know, maybe sometimes uh, a little of something is the best way. But a part of me was like, man, if they do that for the whole campaign, that would be amazing. Yeah, it but, was great. Um, I think my high point would be Pate Dorolo. Okay, um, yeah. That's absolute. We've been talking, you, you've been seeing some of the chatter on the internets as people have been talking about who's the best character. Now we finally know it's Pate Dorolo, <laughs> uh, our esteemed rat uh, colleague, friend of Ladna. And uh, uh, peppery personality, um, definite my favorite right there. Yeah. Okay. That that whole that whole info dump was great. Like I just had a huge smile on my face the whole time. Um, Maybe we start there as we get diving in, because unless you want to jump around a little bit more, but um, no. Yeah, we can start there. That works for me. Uh, yeah. I just I was totally in the dark watching that, by the way, I, having not seen campaign one I, and I text for our listeners, I texted you and said, is this a campaign one thing? And you were like, yeah. Um, what's going on in this scene from a critical role experts point of view without, is there a way to clarify without giving away too much? I think so. Uh, I, I can just kind of stay in the same bounds that they did. Um, uh, so obviously like if you, this is your warning, I guess. Again, I'm not going to spoil anything that wasn't already 
outright spoiled or at least implied but if you're if you're like in the middle of campaign one and you just don't want any of it and you just kind of you know i guess back out for the next 30 seconds or 40 um but yeah big info dump we knew from episode one that laudna was from whitestone which i think i mentioned in our last episode that that was a pretty big place from campaign one um it is the home of the dorolos which um you know she spoke of and a lot of them spoke of in this episode um basically what happened here is the whitestone was ran by the dorolos and in part of campaign one was that there was a violent coup of this this family that took over uh whitestone from them a, a violent overthrowing and uh, we find out that that's kind of seemingly that's when ladna got out because um Orum was the one that had to tell her that oh no a, a, a dorolo came back like whitestone is once again you know a dorolo's there hmm. uh so she didn't know that which uh also goes to show how reclusive she really has been because that is like huge news like most people know these things um but yeah, so, uh, so this, this is common information. Mm -hmm. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um. So yeah, but so the Dorolos uh, were were from Campaign One, uh, ruled Whitestone, were overthrown, but then eventually their family did come back to Whitestone and regain regain it. And um, Orb said something like brought brought long lost son brought his sister back or something. Was that like mm -hmm. a was like a necromancy thing or like also there was a sister? Also there was a sister. Oh, uh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Cool. Um, okay. And again, cool. there is a lot of stuff to unpack there, but I don't want to like, I don't want to dive into more stuff than they've revealed. Um, but there, yeah, there's a lot of campaign one stuff there. Um, Sounds that, like we just need to do our campaign one watch through. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that was just super cool, especially because that conversation led to Bertrand, you know, bringing up Vox Machina by name, which Vox Machina is the, that was the, the the party of players from the first campaign. They were referred to as Vox Machina. Um, so that was just awesome. And, you know, Orum kind of has a pretty direct connection to that via uh, he's an Arashari, which is who Keyleth is, which she was a member of Vox Machina. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that whole sequence was really cool. Put a big smile on my face. Uh, it's just interesting to, to hear it kind of referenced and be a part of the world uh, because in campaign two, the, the moments like that never really happened. Um, mm. So it was interesting to kind of get that touched on, um, which this is kind of a good segue for something I wanted to say. It's not really related to that, but just on the on the notes of campaigns as a whole, this one has felt like I love campaign one and two. Um, but the energy and just like the. Like, the cast, they all seem on their A-game. They all seem so comfortable. Like, I feel like there, there's just a... And maybe it's because the pandemic and now we're all coming back. There's lots of factors, right? But I just... There's, like, a noticeable, like, like joy and, like... Uh, yeah, energy. Like, yeah, like, energy. That's a good way to put it. Because, again, I'm not putting down Campaign 2 or whatever. But it just... It, as someone who's watched all of it, it I noticed. Like, it felt like there was hmm. so much more kind of, like everyone feels way more comfortable and it makes sense. You know, now this is their third time doing it. They're that much more experienced. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I noticed it yeah, and I'm excited about it. That's an interesting observation. Um, having only seen, you know, maybe 10 or 12 episodes from campaign two and then maybe 20 from campaign one. Um, I, it, I, it, the, the differences aren't as obviously obvious to me since I mean, I haven't seen that much of critical role. 
that energy is definitely tangible though. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's fun yeah. to watch because you're watching people have g- a, a genuine good time as they play D and D. And for me, that's, that's what D and D is all about is like, whenever I explain it to someone who has never played before, I'm like, imagine having this really awesome collaborative story over the next few hours where everyone's sort of vibing off each other. And that's really what you're seeing happen week to week so far. Um, I really loved last night's episode. And it's especially fun like when someone, like when Laudna does her Pate Dorolo accent and you yeah. see everyone else's face light up. Like seeing that kind of like genuine, um, I can't think of the phrasing for it, but just like, it's like an admiration or like a, 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 a fellow like, hey, great job. Like yeah. that's really enjoyable to see too. Yeah, 100% agreed. And that 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 exact like energy chemistry is what I'm talking about. Like it just, and again, campaign two had that too. It's just, I don't know. It feels, it feels there in, in, in force from the beginning. Uh, Just excited about it. Um, But yeah, so back to, back to the whole Pate Dorolo thing. Um, Yeah. Managing to skirt around too much without, you know, spoiling stuff for people that don't want it spoiled. Hit me up on Twitter. If you want to talk more specifically about it. Um, but yeah, it was just awesome. And I loved, this is painting a bigger, a better picture of Laudna because she's kind of got this mystery swirl around her, you know, episode yeah, one. So, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say <laughs> episode one, you know, I think I pointed this out as well that she said Whitestone, like that place sucks. And I was like, interesting. I wonder why she would say that sucks, but it makes sense now because her reference of it was during the violent overthrowing and she just, mm-hmm. you know, it also, I think I already said this, but it also just speaks to the level she has been isolated since then, that mm. that she doesn't know any of that. And have we confirmed she's actually undead? We haven't like confirmed, but something's going on with her, right? Yeah. Like, the... well, here's what I also was wondering. I'm putting like the timetable together, so it's eight forty three right now, post divergence. I think something like close to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't Vox Machina like? 40 years earlier or something to that effect around. Yeah. Around, I'm not looking at it, but yeah, it was like 30 ish, 40 ish, something like that. Well, so I'm trying to like, I'm trying to age her basically like, okay, mm-hmm. how, cause I envisioned her and Imogen as sort of like these, um, basically younger characters. Mm-hmm. And I almost actually, before it was revealed that they had met up at some point, I actually wondered if they were like sisters or something yeah. like that. And, um, so yeah, it would almost seem like Laudna is much older than Imogen, True. and actually maybe one of the the older ones in the group. In terms of like, not actually not older because Fern's like ninety or something or one hundred and ten or I don't yeah, know. but um, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was a surprising detail as I was trying to like place the math of it. Which I mean, if she's undead, maybe she maybe she's young and died a and long time ago. Was yeah, know. dead for some of that. That is interesting, and maybe she died in the. The, the coup. Over, the coup, yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting. So, like, you know, because she said she went away for a while. So I'm yeah. like, who brought her you, back? Did you go away? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. It was like, was she in a tomb? And then someone brought her back. And the rat was like, not to be, like, be overly gruesome, but like maybe the rat was like, you know, feeding on her corpse or something or like died and like was buried with her by accident or something. And it's like, he's, you know, Pate is the one who kept me company. Yeah. Like those kinds of details are interesting to me because I'm like, okay, it feels like there's more happening here than just like, well, I'm out of my adventure. You know, yeah. I just, I don't know. There definitely is. And I think, I think it's all but confirmed. She's undead adjacent, right? 
Um, so that that would make sense and kind of make the age thing make a little more sense. What right. if she was a Dorolo? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand the weight of that. Yeah, having not seen Campaign One. Um, if nothing else, I'm really liking the connectiveness. It makes me want to go back and watch Campaign One. But I like that what's happening so far with these characters is not isolated to Marquette. It gives you a sense of like a connected world. Yeah. Um, in the same way that how exciting it was to have Orem, Fern, and Dorian right. be part of the team from Taldore. I mean, and what's right. happening in Alexandria and uh, Alexandria Unlimited series. Um, so yeah, it, I'm sure it would be huge and people who've seen more would, would know the weight of that more than I would. Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, there, there's absolutely a mystery there, right? So I, I can't wait to find out more. And I, I just wonder what it means if she's undead. Like, I don't, I don't know about like what's, I, we, I use the word undead. There might be like another more appropriate term for whatever she is, yeah. but like she does seem young in, in the same way Imogen does. Right. So like, I don't know. Like, does, can she be healed normally? Like, does she need, like, does healing hurt undead? I might be thinking too video gamey, but. Yeah, I don't know. And we haven't had any data points that seem to give us more clarity on that. Yeah. Because um, I was thinking about what else she has on her. She has a dead bird skull, too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And she mentioned she had a um, hammer. Like a hammer. Was it like a, not a jewel, but like a. Um, Something like, in her hair? Yeah, it's a hammer. She said she could. Is it an actual fix, hammer? Yeah, I think she said she oh, could okay. fix FCG with it. Okay, I thought it was like some kind of like decorative like hair thing that was looked like a hammer, but I think you're right. It might yeah, have been, but yeah, yours makes more sense with the context of her <laughs> fixing FCG. Um, which FCG? I'm thinking something similar. I'm like, what's what's going on with his story? It feels like not all. He gave gave up quite a bit of info. There's a large info dump in the first episode, but it kind of left you left me unsettled a little bit thinking like, okay, what else is going on there? Especially his comment on like, you know, let, let's just be open and honest. Let's just get it all out there. It's, you know, for the best. I'm a little suspicious of FCG. Not really in a malicious way, but just yeah. like a hmm. I your think, kindness is suspicious. <laughs> I think there's there's more to him, but I don't think he's like lying or i don't think he's like i think there's definitely a deeper story there and maybe he didn't give us all the details on you know what happened when all his right. brothers and sisters or whatever died but like you're saying i don't think it's malicious i don't think it's sinister i just think that you know like i think his earnestness and his ted lasso-ness is genuine let me put it that way <laughs> sure <laughs> um, that's a great way to put it but uh yeah i it there's been a few interesting things with him. And actually, before we depart completely from Laudan, there's one other thing I wanted to say before I dive into FCG. Um, the really interesting part to me was the fact that she said when she was talking about like how she was so alone and that's why she created Pate to like keep her company. She said him and the voice in my head. Right. So Laudna Which... has some sort of voice in her head. I took to mean her patron. Me too. So Which possibly is what raised her. Right back from the dead if she is dead oh i just had a thought about i don't think this would be it but i'm thinking okay say so can i say this or um, there's an entity from campaign like one or oh okay. yeah yeah there's an entity from campaign one that was dark and shadowy i'm just gonna say that okay i wonder if he could be a patron and maybe brought her back so for anyone that's seen campaign one, hopefully you know who I'm talking about. 
yeah um, but i will i'll keep it i'll keep it vague blink twice if you know who we're who we're talking about <laughs> um but yeah anyway so i did want to just call attention to that so yeah i'm, I'm guessing it's her patron too but um depending on who that is it'd be interesting what his their role in this was why bring her back um but fcg uh a few times this episode it was called out like how unique he is um like at the table i think i'm i was talking about this part in the recap you know they're like we've never seen anyone like you and he's like yeah i'm unique and he explicitly mentions that like he is even more capable than dancers other associates you know his brothers mm-hmm. and sisters um so why why is he special and then a part in the warehouse when they were in- investigating he speaks for the first time and all the workers in the warehouse are like, what? It can speak. So like, I guess most automatons can't speak. Yeah. I, so, or I think um, there was some comment in the first episode where like it was expected to it, 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 fresh cut grass was sort of compared to like the, the robotic golems that um, open and shut the um, entryway onto the gondola. And um, so my impression is that maybe there's few like recorded phrases. And so hearing like a talking, you know, mm. self independent um, automatron was totally mind blowing for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly he's special. And I think that just ties into kind of what we were saying that like, there's obviously more going on there and sure. I don't know. I just wonder what it is. Like maybe, I don't know. A dancer maybe made these for some purpose that I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm completely shooting in the dark, but I feel like there's some like grander scheme to him and his brothers and sisters, I think, and maybe that's even why they were killed, and maybe it wasn't because of this mine. Yeah. That, that whole story is very suspect of like yeah, basically I was sleeping and then I woke up, everyone was dead. Like that's there's definitely more there for sure. Yeah. So which, you know, Ashton seems pretty keen on um, protecting him almost, which Ashton, yeah. I, I really enjoyed. Um, it has definitely the sort of this Robin Hood-esque um, yeah. is this type of character. Um, mentions, I'm really interested to hear more about um, his four different kinds of rages. Yeah, me too. And we also had the gravity, whatever effect he had. Um, and then I think what was the chaos burst? Mm-hmm. Um, we've heard a lot of terminology for his character, so it'd be really interesting to get at what point do we get it all cut and dry, put out there, so we know exactly what is um, how he's designed this homebrew character. Yeah, I can't wait to see what him and Matt come up with. And I mean, I, I have to assume that I don't know if it'll be a year from now or a week from now that it eventually will get like added to like the DM guild or you know, like whatever, like so other people could play this subclass if they want. Uh, same with FCG since he is a, a custom built too. But yeah, I actually, I've never, I've never played a barbarian. I've DM'd, uh, but I've only, I've only ever played once and that was a bard. So I don't know. I think there are like two types of rage. Typically. I think there's like a rage and a frenzied rage. Um, but so four types, I'm assuming those were just completely custom built, but maybe there are like naturally four types of rage in D and D. I'm actually not sure. I don't know. My my players in my campaign are level two, so <laughs> they just they just have rage. Yeah. Well, at <laughs> least old rage. From uh, from my experience with the first two campaigns, there were a couple barbarians. Uh, I don't think I ever heard anything besides frenzied rage and rage. So, 
yeah, I can't wait to see what that is. And I, when, even in that first combat, when he used the one rage he did, he said it was his fun rage. So I wonder what that means. Yeah, Maybe he has right. like different, like tied to different emotions that he can use. Like this one, though, they're just kind of having fun beating up this old man. Mm-hmm. It's my fun one. Maybe if like he actually is legitimately angry is like a true rage or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And jumping to another character or um hearing him we know from Xander unlimited we were suspicious that he had maybe even been um maybe even like a guard of keyleth's or some kind of connection um with yeah. keyleth so it was nice to get a get that mentioned again uh, he had mentioned he was from zephra and Xander unlimited as well and um we again we're going to put out a video that like pulls some of these details for people who didn't watch exu but there was the moment in Byroden where he's training in front of the statue and um, is thinking about um, is, if he's going to press on. Mm-hmm. And he says, effectively, um, for them, I will, referring to the party. Um, and then he says, for him, I will. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm starting to also piece this together with sort of his familiarity with Vox Machina and wondering is he referring to someone on Vox Machina? Is he referring to a character from a previous campaign? Um, excited to see where his character goes because we're getting these little breadcrumbs that makes his character pretty interesting. Yeah, I can't remember if this was explicitly stated and that's why I feel this way or maybe it's just, I don't know. But to, for me, I think there were a couple references in EXU to Orem saying a him without mm-hmm. any more you know, detail. Um but I think it might be his like his partner or his husband. Yeah, um, like a, a lover or something. Mm-hmm. And even made us, we even talked about like, is this someone who's died or like someone who, you know, there's a rift and he had to leave. Like we weren't really clear on it. Yeah. So. For, for my money, I feel like it was, is they've passed, um, passed away. Because, uh, you know, he's looking for a fresh start. And just a few other kind of like subtle clues that I think that maybe that person is gone. And now this is why he is kind of out looking for a new purpose, a new, you know, cause it is, I, I oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it is interesting that like, why did he leave Zephra? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I guess they are currently on a mission for the voice of the Tempest. I think that's what was mentioned at the very beginning of episode one campaign three. Right. But, um, so maybe he still does like live in Zephra. He's just on missions, but, the fact that he said he wanted a new start and that seemed to be genuine. Like, why does he want to leave? What's, you know, what's happening with him? Right. Right. What I'm trying to think of any other. Oh, I was just going to, the whole fresh start thing. I was going to say they've still been pretty um, tight lipped about uh, their mission, which again, without getting too much into EXU, um, part of what they had gotten involved with were, um, implications of something very large coming something that could be happening that might be dangerous to Alexandria as a whole mm-hmm. and uh, it seems like keyleth has sent them on this mission to find someone that's related to this and um it's interesting that they're still keeping it pretty close to the, close chest. To the chest yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I can't wait to see what's going on there and that might even i mean not to to segue us here but to see what happens with robbie i think I forgot what it was that got put out, but something got put out this week that I think made people lean toward, oh, he's a guest and not a permanent. I, I can't remember to reference what that was, but something did come out. So for my money, I think that he probably is a guest. Um, 
which is, I mean, is fine. I would love Robbie to stay, but um, yeah, he's done great. Uh, I wonder, I just wonder how that's going to, with presumably Fern and Orem staying, and those actually, you know, those are Liam and Ashley's characters for this campaign. What, I wonder what, what what's going to be the crossroads there that makes Dorian leave and makes the EXU crew decide to permanently like continue with this band of adventurers when they have a mission already. So maybe their mission becomes everyone's mission. That's, I don't I mean, I just can't see them abandoning what they're working on from EXU. So I'm just wondering yeah, how do the, we, how do we reconcile all those things? Yeah. The, the weightiness, the stakes from EXU seems so defining to the world of Exandria in general. Mm-hmm. It would be hard for me to imagine that they, they would just shelf it and, yeah. um, and would just table it. Um, so who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe something else we could talk about would be, um, speaking of characters and like who's what each person's character is. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about Travis Willingham potentially maybe playing long-term a different character than Bertrand yeah. Bell, um, which I love how, you know, Bertrand Bell like looks for every opportunity to um, basically BS about how important <laughs> he is, yeah. all the things, the people he know, he knows. Um, it is interesting though. He does seem to have a, I think he mentions last episode that he's been in town for a few months uh, or maybe I'm misremembering entirely. Um, but he seems to know quite a bit of what's happening. Yeah. Um, obviously he's worked for Esteros for a while. Um, something I forgot to mention in the recap, Fern is asking about the ivory syndicate and says basically like, you know, do you see them anywhere or something like that? Um, or maybe they're talking about it actually when they're about to set up for the stakeout and uh, like, what should we be, look, be looking for? Yeah. And Bertrand mentions that, um, I think it's Bertrand who mentions it, that um, maybe it was Ashton, I can't remember now that I think about it, that the Ivory Syndicate has no logo, no iconography associated with them, no like um, team colors. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they literally, part of their MO is blending in as much as possible. And so you never know who they may be. But there was the comment made that the Chandri Corum, um, which is sort of like the, um, established, uh, like authority. Yeah. Right. Um, that they, certain members have been working directly with the ivory syndicate and potentially maybe even protecting the ivory syndicate. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, yeah. Okay. Thanks for bringing this up. Cause I wanted to dive into this as well. Cause I think they're saying that like, either they're in on it or they're like incompetent because the ivory syndicate has not had any backlash. Like there's been no action taken to like strike against them or anything. So they were wondering if they're, if the quorum and them were in cahoots. Um, and yeah, Bertrand seems to be legitimately frightened of the ivory syndicate. That's kind of one of the things that's kind of pierced through his like veneer of bravado. Um, was you know and he he goes and gets that cloak so that he people can't see that he's like wearing fancy clothes and um uh i just th- i really want to know more about what happened with him because we we found out that you know he abandoned the last team he was with on the last mission he was doing with or for esteros and i don't know if it was explicitly said that the ivory syndicate was what like went wrong in that mission but that's the implication i got is that mm-hmm. like they ran into them and things got bad and so bertrand ran um and he also mentions they say have their 
the kind of tryout we just had, have you been part of that before? And he says, oh yeah, many times, which yeah. I don't know if it's, that's an accurate statement or not, but it also makes me wonder what happened to all of those people. Yeah. And so like, what, what was his previous mission? I mean, I it's seemingly Lord Esteros is at like one of the forces trying to battle against the ivory syndicate. I mean, maybe there's some sort of like double cross or like, you know, we, maybe he's part of the ivory syndicate for all we know, but it seems like that. Um, if indeed the merch, the mission Bertram was on that he abandoned was against them, that Esteros would be against them. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. He just—it just seemed like he was legitimately scared of of that, and um, I don't know. It just it makes me want to know more about the this mystery here. Like, what what was the the mission he was on previously, and yeah. what like what does the Ivory Syndicate want? Do do we think they're even connected to this current mystery that the party is investigating about these stolen goods, the stolen broomstone, apparently? Right. Which, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's implied that it's not like random stuff being stolen but that right maybe someone is um shipping broomstone you know in in disguise of these products basically and someone else is then breaking in and lifting it uh which the two things i wondered was is esteros shipping it and someone is, is robbing from him or is someone else basically using his warehouse to move product in so that someone else can that's a good uh, point i was just wondering that i wonder I guess he really kind of kept all the details close to the vest. Cause I was thinking like, would he have told them if that's what yeah. was happening, but he maybe well, wouldn't have. Orem, Orem did have the natural 20 and I didn't yeah. want to come back to the whisper. Um, have we that's ever, true. have we ever found out after the fact what was whispered originally? Like, will we ever know? Um, yeah. Some, yeah. I mean, not like not every time. Uh, Cause sometimes, you know, it's not even necessarily important or relevant. Um, yeah, okay. So it might, yeah, like, uh, it, if what he had gleaned was some sort of, like, something to that effect, that, like, Esteros was being shady in that way, I feel like Orm would have brought it up to everybody afterward. So it's interesting that Liam didn't ever really, like, kind of say anything about that moment to the party, like, in character. Um, but so we may or we may not find out, like, what the context of that was. Um I okay. think if it's like relevant in that way that it probably will come up. Um, but it just depends. Mm -hmm. But that that's now, really interesting that, you know, maybe he is, he's got this side hustle going on and somebody's stealing from him and he wants to know who it is. And it, you know, not textiles. I mean, because of the, the illicit broomstone, I think that makes more sense, honestly, you yeah, know, then someone like using his, basically right. warehouse without him knowing like he he's gotten to that position he's at because he probably does stuff like that you know now has has broomstone come up in the previous campaigns a little bit yeah okay. um it's basically i mean matt i think pretty much covered it it's like this magic resource that like helps things fly to put it simply yeah okay hence the name although i don't think it's spelled the same way as like a b-r-r-r-o-m b-r-o-o-m it's, it's it's spelled differently. I don't I don't remember how it's spelled, but yeah, okay. Fun fact. Interesting. Huh. <laughs> um, okay. But so yeah. So then, is do you think Dennis is is Dennis apprehensive because she doesn't want these effectively bystanders 
knowing about the broomstone, like perhaps, you know, she knows that Esteros wouldn't want anyone to know, or do you think this is like classic, you know, lead employee is double crossing her boss? Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to get a pulse on which way I was going with that. Cause at first I just felt that she was acting normal, like, you know, trying to be helpful. And then it's like, you know, who are these people? Like what, what's going on here? And not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to get caught more of just a, like, I might lose my job cause I'm letting random people come look. But then at the the very end, she was seeming kind of fishy. Um, but I, I originally didn't think she was in on it, but now I'm not sure. Um, Cause I think she was totally like, it's, it's totally um, rational for her to be like feeling the way she did, even if she wasn't, you know, stealing right. stuff. Right. Uh, but does it, doesn't she like go back explicitly to like, look at the same ones they looked at at the end or something? She, I think she does check around to see like what, like what they had gotten into. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I guess I don't, I'm not really answering your question, but what about you? Which way are you kind of leaning it on that? It seems like it's, I mean, I was kind of thinking it would be like your stereotypical, like employee stealing from the boss, but then like her relative, like calm nature of like these total randos, like looking through the stuff being like, okay, yeah, sure. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. But then at the end I went back to it. I was like, okay, this is, it's, I mean, obviously it was suspicious enough for the party uh, for Bertrand and Imogen to leave um, as Orem, as Liam O'Brien was like, don't split the party. Okay. <laughs> yeah. anyway. You know, just so, you know, clearly important enough for them to follow her. So, yeah, true. I, uh, I could easily see that being a red herring, but I mean, it also might, mm. I mean, it's the cleanest answer, right? Uh, cause it, it seemed like all the other employees were kind of just, you know, dense and kind of thinking about other things that, so if if it wasn't her, it seems like it's somebody we haven't met yet and not necessarily yeah, okay. one of them. Um, but that whole that whole warehouse sequence was really interesting, uh, mainly because of everything we learned about um, Imogen in that moment, like these special abilities that she has. And um, it seems like her mind reading is based on how many people are within like 30 feet of her or what have yeah. you. Yeah. And um, it seems like it's hard to she even gets he like, it wasn't like a point of exhaustion, but he penalizes her. Right. For casting right. Whatever it is around so many people. Right. He was saying that like, you're going to have disadvantage on this. I don't remember what the details were. Right. But it's the, it's because, you know, she's a, a too novice at what's going on here to really like be able to tune out and focus on what she's looking for. But yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's a homebrew thing that he's made for her. If that actually is a feat. Um, so somebody, somebody watching this knows, I'd love to hear about it in the comments, but, uh, it's, it seems homebrew. I it mean, felt I think homebrew to me. Yeah. I know Kalashtar from Eberron. Uh, I mean, Novrin had mind link. That's which, right. Yeah. That's what I know, thought it was cool. when she, I didn't think she was a Kalashtar, but maybe she is. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, that would be a, a, a crossover. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Matt's world. So I have his no version idea. of that or, you know, something. yeah, it could be totally uh, his version of that. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, but, uh, anyway, back to the, I just, I'm fascinated by that, which kind of brings us back to something we talked about in the first episode, which was why is she looking for the, this access to the conservatory? What is she trying to research? And maybe we speculated that maybe it was like what's happening to her. And, um, 
this just, not that that's 100% the case, but this was like another notch in that theory for me because she's clearly inexperienced with her abilities, which to me means they're newer. And right. I feel like she might want to research like what's happening. Uh, but but super cool just as a mechanic and as an RP thing to play with that you can just hear everyone around you's thoughts. And I really like the the amount of thought and detail that went into like the mechanics of that being that, you know, that can be a bad thing sometimes and you get a penalty because there's just too much information coming your yeah, way without it being like broken or yeah, um, I can think about being like in a home D and D session. Like I detect, you know, I know what they're thinking. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> he's uh, lying and he's the big bad. <laughs> you know, you're like, what? Stop. Uh, why did I agree to this? Um, what if, uh, do you think that, facet of her ability is the same thing she's using to telekinetically speak to people no it seems like she also has i mean yes yes i do but it seems like it's it's linked in some way to um because matt keeps specifically asking her are you doing the feat or are you doing the spell slot mm. so it seems like there is sort of this natural um feat that she has uh, but then also has some uh, either maybe it's referring to detect thoughts, the spell. I'm not quite sure, but has also a spell version, which is interesting that you would double up. That's what's interesting to me is why would you double up if you already have it as a feat? Why would you also pick it for your prepared spells? Maybe the feat like includes the spell. It's like you can do this base version at all times, but also yeah. as part of the feat, you can use a spell slot to, you know, enhance it or something. That's a great insight for sure. Yeah. Okay. But I'm just curious as to how her her communication aspects works because it's like kind of like message, but it's not message. We found that out. Nor right. is it sending. Um, there may even be. I was actually going to ask you this: the the Kalashtar trait that that your character had. What was that? The same thing? As long as you could see somebody, you could. Mm -hmm. And yeah. but she talks about like a three minute window. Do you remember enough to know if that was the same? No, I think it was you could communicate to anyone you could see within a you know large radius, large range, and they could choose to respond to you. Okay, and I think that's basically what it was. I can't remember honestly because it was interesting that she was able to like simultaneously like have multiple conversations with this at mm -hmm. once. But there is the limit of have to see, and I don't know where I don't remember where three minutes came into play, but I remember her talking about. I can only yeah, do it for three minutes or something. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that, but I don't remember Which, the context of it. That aspect makes it seem like it's not a 24-7 at-will thing. It must be like a, not necessarily a cast, but like an action, mm. I guess, to, to use it or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to get too in the weeds on this, but I was just... Uh, it's like really... one hour later, like a <laughs> whiteboard so up. She messages no. the robot. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I was just curious how it worked. Um, it is interesting to me that um fresh cut grass being a robot has a sense of consciousness like an internal an internal voice to communicate with mm -hmm. um you know and fern even like counters his comment i'm like you know i don't i'm not i don't have a spirit or a soul or whatever and basically says well you know maybe you do like you know yeah you're we're all made and that's back in the first episode but it was just an interesting detail that he has an inner inner voice that he actually hears Imogen speak to him and then speaks back. True. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I think that's just part of her, his deeper mystery, what he is. Maybe he is even like, he thinks he doesn't have a soul, but maybe he does. Maybe his soul is 
from a human that was put into a robot to oh. continue or something. Um, okay. <clears throat> uh, and speaking of all these messages spells, it's interesting that he too has one, but it is different, which makes it seems like it's a homebrew version of message because he uses it to try to speak to Orem in the final moments of the episode. But it's revealed that he can't like send words, send a message. He tells Orem uh, that you just feel like a sense the emotion or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to wonder, like, that's cool. And I'm wondering what the applications of that is. Like, if you actually can't send a message, maybe just once you get to know Fresh Cut Grass well enough, you can, there's some sort of language there that you can say a lot without just through feeling or something. Yeah. Um, I'd think it as like, you know, he can like send vibes to people, maybe even like a bardic inspiration type thing. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I guess at the very least, you could be like, send the message of fear, and they would know, like, okay, go in. We got to help them, or, you know, yeah. there's definitely I'm applications like, there. I'm like, release the character sheets. Like, we. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> release them. We want to <laughs> we study want to them. Yes. So, uh, any other details that you want to talk about? Uh, let's see. Sorry, I'm just, I'm looking through my notes here. Yeah, I'm looking through mine too. Um, you, you already mentioned it, but I feel like it's worth repeating just because I really enjoyed the moment as well with the the like homeless drunk guy that passed out next to them and, you know, Fern takes his money. I just I really loved that that moment with Ashton's character, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, you know, saying we don't take copper. Um, this uh, right. this classic critic for those of you that are new this classic critical role that like there is a hour plus of them just sitting outside trying to figure out what to do this episode <laughs> with the the planning that's uh you're in for more of that which okay. I, just, I thought that whole <laughs> sequence was funny with like i could turn it to a crab and you know i could do this and yeah <clears throat> yeah it's like they're reading off their character sheet i could do this yeah and then they're like well if you turn it into a crab what would happen like i don't know maybe they'd want to eat me or i don't know yeah, there's a lot of options i got thrown out there for sure <laughs> and then what they landed on was clearly not very good anyway <laughs> yeah that's, Orem, that's also very critical role <laughs> as Orem is now stranded in the way in the locked <laughs> warehouse with no lights and feeling this energy from fresh cut grass that's kind of freaking him out yes so. perfect yeah um, uh, <laughs> oh i just had one thing but i lost it so go ahead with whatever you're gonna say i had one other detail one question yeah um age of arcana floating cities Yes. Was that from the lore video or has that been during our campaign time, like campaign one through three? Cause wasn't there a detail about floating cities that had crashed at some point or yes, I, was that? that is a hundred percent a thing. I don't remember if it's from the, like I, I know like, more I about that, but I don't remember if it's from, from the lore video or if it's from older campaigns. Yeah. But okay. if you know about it, then it must be from the lore. Well, yeah. Video, Cause right? I have just the thought in my head of like watching something and being like, yeah, the floating cities when they finally, and I was like, Oh, what? Yeah, no, I think it is from the lore video. So, yeah, I was hesitant to bring that up or not, but I think it it must be from there. But so, yeah, the broomstone could also um, potentially float cities just like it could float airships. And then with that, as probably as like a, well, I can't say this without heavy spoilers, but I just, I I think the answer is I just need to go watch campaign one. But as they're talking about um, Vox Machina, um, Bertrand says, oh yeah, Vox Machina, the defeaters of the Whispered One, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming was a big bad, not maybe not the big bad, but a big bad in uh, Campaign One. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know. 
But yeah, I mean, you should, you and anyone watching this that is enjoying this should absolutely watch Campaign 1. It's, it's definitely got me thinking about it. For which sure. I, I like, mentioned, oh. you know, I think in our first episode that it's going to be a, a shock to go from the production value that we have back to that. But it's like, you can get over it and it's good. It's it's worth it. And uh, the heart's there and that's what matters. You know, they don't have the fancy set, but yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the heart of it's there. All right, cool. Um, well, yeah, I feel I feel like there's a million things to talk about this episode, and my notes are jumbled and jambled. So I sure. I know I'm I'm missing probably awesome moments that I wanted to talk about, but I think we hit most of it. I think definitely you guys who are watching, if you had an awesome moment you loved, or you want to talk about one that we've already mentioned, just mention it in the comments below, and we'll dive in and, and chat about it. Yeah. Um, great episode. I'm just every week it's over. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just. Is it Thursday? That, Thursday, yeah. Just right? like the rest so, of the cast. They're like, no, I want to keep playing. Yeah, and that was like, it's getting late, which then made me wonder like, well, are you actually recording late at night or is that just oh, yeah, that's a know, good point. pre-recorded? I don't know. But um, anyway, also don't forget, you can tweet at us at the Pixelus. Uh, man, that just rolls so much better than the previous one. <laughs> Um, and also, by the way, heads up, we are transitioning. We're going to keep the show on YouTube. We're going to be transitioning the show also onto audio podcast formats which you'll be able to find that podcast literally anywhere you listen to podcasts and uh, we'll be sure to let you know when that's official and out um but yeah will any other comments you want to make um i just want to say to anyone listening to this thanks like uh blake and i were blown away by the the response to the 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 most recent critical yeah. role videos we've been putting out. I mean, we, we we're, we've been doing this for like a couple months, but we're pretty new to this. And uh, the, yeah, the reaction to this last one blew us away. We're super excited to have all these, all you other critters coming along on this journey with us and uh, I just appreciate it. So thanks for, yeah. thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. Well, Will, we got to do our thumbnail. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't know what to do. You got to put your, your head. Yeah. Up yeah. For sure. Tomorrow. I feel like maybe we just, uh, you know, give a nice little, well, mine would be more formal. I don't know what yours would be. I'll just, I mean, I'll just be a penguin, I guess. I mean, I think that's okay, enough yeah. for the thumbnail. I'm going to take my headset off so I won't be able to hear you, but sure. it'll look better. Sure. I'm going to be more dapper and, you know, I'll do, I'll, I'll imitate, uh, burn, uh, Ashley Johnson doing her. <laughs> They're like, why are you grabbing your boobs? <laughs> Did we just do it? Are we good? <laughs> We got it. I'm sure we I realized got you couldn't hear me talking to you right there. I was like chatting and I was like, he's not responding. Yeah, I was like, I but. saw your lips moving. <laughs> I was like, yeah. uh. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we got. All right, y'all. Until next time. Until next Friday. Bye. See ya. <laughs>